Hello and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, January 27th, 2023. I'm Mike Cacciopoli. All right, here we are, Big Friday. So much has happened today. I was hoping for like a nice casual laid back Friday. What am I talking about? There's no such thing as a casual laid back show. There was this an incredible amount of stuff happened on this Friday. Incredible amount of stuff happened within hours of each other. We know early in the day there was the Paul Pelosi video. The video of the uh, <clears throat> Paul Pelosi attack was released. And then later in the day, the video of the, um, <clears throat> the Tyree Nichols uh, video was released. So we had two police video cam, body camera videos released on the same day. Now, what's interesting is it took, let's see, January 7th. All right, so it took 20 days, right? 20 days? Yes. 20 days to release the footage of the, the Tyree Nichols beating. Um, but it took, what, three months? Yeah, it took three months to release the video footage of the Paul Pelosi attack, and the judge had to make them. The prosecutors, the state, did not want to release the Paul Pelosi attack. So the prosecutor made him do that. So you have to wonder why, why not? Now the prosecution, the state said, well, they were afraid that the, 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 the body cam footage of Paul Pelosi being attacked would create misinformation because the public is too dumb to uh, assess uh, a one minute video. In fact, most of the action, that video is like 10 seconds, Right. It's like 10 to 15 seconds is most of the action in the video that the American public is too dumb and the American public doesn't have the right to come to the conclusions they might come to. Now, I watched the Paul Pelosi video. I watched the Paul Pelosi video and I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what's going on there. But to say it's just a simple case of a guy being assaulted is, is just not true. There are things that happened that were just very bizarre in that video. And the 911 call is very bizarre, where he calls and he says, we're waiting for my wife, but it'll be a day. So I guess we'll be waiting for a day. And, and the 911 operator doesn't really understand what the guy's saying. Is he calling for help? Is he not? And says, are you calling? For, do you need police? And he says, no, I don't think so. So, the, but the police show anyway. Now, remember, the police showed before the attack. We got the attack on camera very, very conveniently got the attack on camera. So in breaking down that, you know, very few seconds of that video that we saw, what strikes me as being weird and out of place, odd, not common, is the fact that they both had their hands on the hammer, right? They both had their hands on the hammer, which makes you question who had the hammer first. Both, and Paul Pelosi had one hand on the hammer and one hand on a drink. So Paul looked like he had like a, a whiskey sour in his left in his left hand. And he was his right hand was holding the hammer along with the, the pop. Right. And then the police show up and they're like, <laughs> and they see these two guys standing together, both holding hammer together. One guy has a drink in his hand. Pelosi's basically in his underwear with like a, a, a shirt on and, and the paps in shorts. So if you're the police and you show up to that, you're thinking, what the hell is this? What am I looking at? It's the exact same reaction most people have when looking at that video. Now, 
most people will get what they want from that video. If you believe it's just a simple case, a simple assault, you're seeing that. If you believe there's, there's more to it, then you're going to see more to it. But we understand there's like a 30-minute deal, right? So it's like almost 30 minutes leading up to when the police came. So what was happening in that half hour is the most fascinating part of this whole thing. There's no doubt that the guy DePape at the end of this uh, 30 minutes hits him in the head. Knocks him out with a hammer. We, we see that. There's no doubt about that. But that was never really questioned. Never really questioned. But the odd thing is the drink. I don't. I don't. I don't get the drink. I don't. Well, I don't get the nine one one call. I don't get the. I don't get the intruder allowing. I don't. I don't believe the pape. It's weird. It's weird. Don't say I don't believe. It's weird that the pape would allow Paul Pelosi to go make a call in the bathroom. Um, allow him to call nine one one. Allow him to get a drink. Is that? But is that? Is that the first thing you do? Is get a drink, or was Paul Pelosi just drinking the whole time? If you if you know Paul Pelosi, he was caught drunk driving twice. So to say he was home alone without without Nancy drunk before going to bed is not a stretch. Maybe the guy drinks in his sleep. Who knows? It's very possible. The guy has an alcohol problem. That is no. I I, I can't say anyone can, can deny the guy has an alcohol problem. He was caught drunk driving twice. So he's got this drink in his hand. Maybe that's how he deals with every situation. But it's still very bizarre. It's still very bizarre. Oh, well, you're in the middle of attacking me. Let me let me get a whiskey sour. Oh, no problem. You're in the middle of attacking me. Let me let me go into the bathroom and call 911. No problem. And then the other weird thing is when the we first see the cop shine the light on them, if there, there are freeze frames of that, they both have these big shit eating grins on their face. Now, okay, you can excuse that the pap grin is the guy's nuts, right? So nutty people do nutty things. So they might a nut might smile as the police as they open the door and the police are there. But why the hell is Paul Pelosi smiling? And it's not an uncomfortable looking smile to me. It's like a it's like a, a shit eating grin kind of smile. And I, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand why they're both smiling at the same time when the door opens. And someone's also wondering how the door opened because <laughs> Paul has one hand on the hammer along with the pap's hand and the other hand on a drink. The door just seems to open magically. <laughs> so that's another weird thing. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's a lot of things that don't add up that aren't normal that you wouldn't expect to happen during a break-in. Someone breaks in, they want to hurt you or your wife. And... They let you call on one. They let you go to the bathroom. They, they you grab a, a drink. Would you think about grabbing a drink? So I put up a little video because I think it's kind of funny that it's almost as like Paul Pelosi is playing Cary Grant. I can only see Cary Grant in that kind of a situation getting a drink, right? In a Hitchcock movie, you know, a guy breaks in and they're having an argument, and Cary says, "Do you mind if I get a whiskey sour?" And he goes to get the whiskey sour. He goes, Here, here's to you, Mr. DePep. And then, you know, when it's all over, what a performance. Because that's what it seemed like. That's another thing that's weird. The performance part of this is that it's almost as though DePep hits him on cue, right? It's almost as though it was like lights, camera, action. As soon as the police open that door, within like five seconds, he hits him on the head. So it can be caught on the police cam. So it could be caught, Right. The, the violent act can be caught on tape, on video. He could have hit him 
any time in that 30 minute period and it would not have been, you know, there wouldn't have been video evidence of it. But he waited until the police shine the light on them. The body cam is on. Police say drop the hammer. He seems like he says no. And then whacks Paul Pelosi on the head. So there are a lot of elements. You can excuse these elements away and you can make them into you can excuse them away as being just what it is, a nut job hitting a guy in the head. And that's always the easiest thing to do, right? That's what people who don't want that to be more of an issue would say. Come on, shut up. The guy hits him on the head. He's the victim. He's the so. But there are so many elements that don't make any fucking sense. And, and of course, the state withholding it for three months, making a judge tell them to do this is uh, is another problem. What does what? In other words, that means to me the prosecutors, the state even see weird when they watch that video they saw weird stuff that could be interpreted in different ways and they didn't want people doing what i'm doing right now but if so if it wasn't weird if it was a straightforward thing they would have no problem releasing look at like like the beating right it's a straightforward thing it's a three-minute beating of, of mr nichols so the fact that they didn't want to release the video that the judge had to make them do it three months later that raises red flags right there but there are just too many elements that are weird. And what this also proves, by the way, is Miguel, uh, uh, what's his name? I'm in poor of, of, of NBC, who they fired, that poor guy who they fired, that veteran, uh, suspended him. He's back now. When he told that story, and he was about, he was like 99% right. That's probably the most true journalism we've seen in the last decade. And they, and they suspended him for it when he did the story depicting exactly what we saw. That, he said in his report that Pelosi didn't try to run out the door, didn't say, help, I need help, didn't try to get away with the pap. He was there side by side with him. He backed off to it to get closer to him and started struggling him with a hammer. That's exactly what the reporter said. That's exactly what he said. And he said this brings up questions about what happened in the previous 30 minutes. And it does bring up questions about what happened in the previous 30 minutes. So we could all speculate. And if anyone has any speculation of what what the hell we were seeing in that video. And truly, if you just think, I mean, one explanation is Paul Pelosi was trying to, like, placate him and play along with him. Possibly. Right. You know, and trying to be as cool about it as possible and as calm about it as possible. You know, and the door opens and the police are there and he realizes the whole thing is very odd and weird and bizarre looking and he smiles. You could you could I guess you could interpret it that way. Uh, and that, that was the pop's last moment to whack him on the head and he did it. What's, what's also interesting, which also very interesting is the police see the hammer, right? The cop says, please drop the hammer. And I think the pep says no. Or Paul says no, as in don't hit me. I don't know which, which one. Someone, one of them says no. And, uh, and then he whacks him on the head, which was interesting is the cop didn't shoot the guy right away. That's really odd in these days, right? I mean, the cop could have shot him dead. I don't know how many people would have had a problem with that because it's a hammer. You can kill someone with a hammer. That, 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 that one shot to Paul Pelosi's head could have killed him. It knocked him out and he's recovering, but it could absolutely could have killed him. And how do they know that Pop's knocking him in the head second time before the police get out? So I'm surprised the police didn't tase him or shoot him. That's also very weird. 
Um, in fact, it's you know you, when when the pape finally hits him on the head, the cop says, "Oh shit!" and they and they, and they bum rush him, right? But it, it's just the whole thing is is not it's not that there are things there that stick out as being very bizarre, very bizarre, and a lot of it comes from Pelosi's a lot of it comes from Pelosi's demeanor and Pelosi's body language and the way Pelosi acted, the phone call, the drink in the hand, both you know. His hand on the Pap's hand with the hammer, him in his underwear, possibly already drunk. He seemed he sounds a little drunk in the nine one one call. So it's all very weird. It's all very weird. And you can understand, especially now from seeing that video, people who thought that it, like I thought it could be some kind of a escort thing or a or a tryst thing or a one night stand gone wrong or a escort deal gone wrong although I can't imagine Paul Pelosi arguing over money what would he give a shit it's it's very odd the whole thing is is incredibly odd but to just say like I said people will get what they want from that video right people will see what they want to see they'll read into what they want to read into or not read into what they don't want to read into but the fact of the matter is, just to say it's your standard breaking and entering assault, I, I can't agree with that. I think there's much more. <laughs> there's more to it there. I would love to have a, a, someone bring in a body language expert to talk about the body language at that at that moment of, of the video we, we see and what the body language says, what that smile says. Because this literally a shot, and I've been passing it around on Twitter, of them both smiling, big grins on their face as the cops open the door. So it's very weird. The whole thing is weird. It just is. And not make, and this is what I've said from day one, not releasing this stuff at the beginning, the state trying to prevent people, from, the public from seeing it, that makes people come up with ideas, right? That makes people speculate. But, and that's the fault of them. That's the, fault, that's the fault of the Pelosi's, of the prosecutors for not saying just release the damn thing, get it out of the way. Don't make people speculate. Politicians hide enough stuff. It's, it's very suspicious when a politician hides more. When, when This was hidden by a politician. And politicians are always hiding things and trying to get away with things. So it doesn't help. I would have said just release it right away. Just release it to end, to end you know, speculation and 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 rumors as to why we're not releasing it but they didn't do that and then we see it finally three months later if the judge forces them to do it and it's fucking weird it's just very bizarre i don't get the drink i also don't get dropping the drink when you're trying to prevent someone from hitting you with a hammer when you're trying to get the hammer away from somebody wouldn't you drop the drink and use both hands why would you hold the drink I it I just I don't get it. I I truly don't get it. Look, things happen. I understand things happen quickly. I mean, I was attacked two weeks ago, and I I look back and I and I remember that I had a bag in my right hand, and I didn't drop it. And I'm thinking to myself, why didn't you drop the fucking bag with your right hand? That's your dominant hand. You could have done something. You could have hit the guy with your right hand. But I had my fucking bag in my right hand, and I didn't let it go. It wasn't that important, the stuff. I could have let it go, but I didn't. So I'm thinking, okay, it's in, you're in the moment. It's fast. You don't think that quickly, and it's over. That could be why Paul Pelosi didn't drop the drink, but why get the drink in the first place? I, that I don't get. 
Why get the drink in the first place? And if the guy is letting you call, I don't think the pap is that dumb. If the guy's letting you make a phone call, wouldn't he assume you're called? Who would, who would the pap assume Pelosi's calling? He had to assume he was calling for help, a friend or 911, right? So why we let him do it? And then it's a very weird thing. It, I, I, it seemed like he could have been talking in code, Paul Pelosi, right? Because he says, there's a man here and he's waiting for my wife, Nancy Pelosi. And she's not going to be back for a day or two. So I guess we'll just be stuck here waiting. So maybe there was some code there. But the 911 operator, they want, people want her fired because she didn't seem to understand it. She just asked her, do you need help or not? He says, no, I don't think so. Okay, goodbye. So it, it's a very bizarre thing, you know, because usually 911 operators are very good at picking up code, right? Um, and this one didn't seem to be very good at picking up code, if indeed that was code, or if it was a, a drunk guy making a drunk phone call. I, I don't know. The whole thing is just incredibly weird. I'm guessing I, I, I will give Pelosi Paul the benefit of the doubt that since he said to the 911 operator, Nancy Pelosi, he was trying to get a message through. Right. This is important. I'm I'm her husband. Help. The 911 operator didn't get it. So. Uh, you know. It just doesn't seem to make much sense. And then we, we, we contrast that. Now, I do want to make a, an important point. We contrast that with the with the the, the Tyree Nichols video, which was released in 20 days. Um, and we look at both videos and what we see are good cops and bad cops, right? The cops in that Paul Pelosi video, you can't blame the cops. Like I said, I'm surprised they didn't tase the guy or shoot him, but maybe it's because I, I could come up with a couple of explanations for that, actually, because he was too close to Paul Pelosi, right? He was kind of on top of him right away. And they didn't want to shoot the wrong guy. It all happened very quickly. I don't think the cops expected. I don't think the cops expected like a lights, camera, action kind of a scene. The cops don't expect someone to be attacked in front of them, right? They expect the attack to happen before, and then they respond to it. They don't expect the guy to attack someone right in front of the cops with two body cam, you know. So, okay, you could make that excuse that, you know, they didn't think it was – they were unprepared for it, and they didn't want to take a chance of hitting Paul with a bullet or a taser. You could, you could see that. And they figured they were right there. They could jump on the guy, which they did. So the cops, I think, were great there. I mean, those, those, those are cops doing what cops usually do. Then we look at the, the other video and we see bad cops, incredibly bad cops. Now, when you look at that video, the Tyree Nichols video, you're not really looking. I, I don't see cops. I see thugs. I see a gang attack. To me, it looks like a gangland attack, right? Basically, five thugs who got into the police department for their opportunity to do this to anybody. A black guy, a white guy, it doesn't matter. And that's what they did. There's no, it's three minutes of beating. It's a three-minute beating. It's a, it's a gangland beating. That's what it was. So I think we can all come to the agreement that most cops aren't like that, that most cops are like the Paul Pelosi cops, right? And thankfully, that is the truth, that most cops, the overwhelming majority of cops are like the cops in the Paul Pelosi video, where they're there to help people and serve the public. Then we have these rogue cops who took the job just to do that, took the job just so they could legally beat somebody, right? 
So they can beat said to have a badge on and beat someone with a badge on. And the fact of the matter is that this is what I have talked about so many times in the past, even before I had this podcast, in that I believe these police brutality things, these police attacks, when, when police go bad, it's not a racial thing. It's a power thing. I've said this a million fucking times. The media and lowbrow politicians like to make it a race thing. And they gin up the race element, right? They gin up the race baiting so they can get riots out of it. But I think it's always been about more the power and authoritarianism, right? We have power over you. Think about why these five thugs got jobs as cops. Not to protect and serve, to have power, to have official power, the badge and official power. And thinking, since we have the badge and the official power, we can legally do this to somebody. Well, we couldn't do it if we didn't have the badge. Of course, they're finding out different. Why these five fucking cops with this body, with all knowing this was being taped, thought this was going to be was going to fly. I don't it's it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling that these cops thought this was going to fly. I don't get it. They know they're being taped now. They know you're getting five different fucking video camera images of this for three minutes. Why they thought this was going to fly as like proper police procedure, I have no clue. I have no clue. In fact, they would have had a better chance of getting away with it if they were gangs and there were no, they were, they were a gang and there were no cameras. But they're cops and there are cameras. I don't get it. That I don't get. That I, I can't get into their heads. Was it an adrenaline thing? Did the adrenaline take over? Did the anger and the rage take over? And it didn't matter. And they didn't think about the cameras being on and didn't think about the consequences. I don't know. That's very possible. But the fact of the matter is, is that the, the mainstream media, the legacy media, couldn't race bait with this one. So they did this disingenuous thing, this intellectually dishonest thing, where they set everything up for like race for riots again, right? I'll talk about that in a second. I'll talk about my experience here in San Francisco earlier today. But they had this, they, they set up this riot, you know, that they're going to be riots. Watch out. Here it comes. Here comes the riots. Here's the video. Look at the video. Let's play the video 5,000 times. But they know that you were, if you're going to get any kind of riots at all, which I don't believe there were, at least not yet, it's not going to be like the summer of 2020. Why? Because there's no race element to this. People are watching five black cops beat up a black guy. If those were five white cops, we'd all have to board ourselves in. But it was five black cops. Okay? And the media knows that they could not play the race element, and that takes the edge off this. But they pretended as though it was like the same thing. They pretend as though they don't do the race baiting when it's a black and white issue. They pretend like they don't bait these riots by by doing race baiting and pressing the race issue. But they do. But they do. And it's no shock at all that we're not getting the riots. Look, it would have happened. It would happen by now. Right. The, the, the things with Floyd and other incidents, they happen right away. But what what will people be riding? What will the mostly African-American people who rioted? And the Antifa, we can't see them, right? Because they, they're, they're cowards. They wear hoods, black hoods. But what are they going to riot about? What, what are they going to do? Are they, are they rioting about black crime? Are they black on black crime? Are they rioting about five black cops being thugs? 
That's not, that's nothing to riot about. That's nothing for black people to riot about. The thing for black people to riot about and also, you know, uh, white people who might be part of something like Antifa is if it's five white cops on black and it's a race thing and we have to riot over race. But this is not that. And the media, as much as they probably are trying, I heard they were even trying to make this about race. Some some media outlets are trying to make this about race. But it's obviously not. It's obviously not. So it can't be a shock to anybody that we're not going to get the kind of, you know, reaction we got during the summer of, of 2020. But <clears throat> the fact of the matter is that it, it, it truly shows that the media does provoke these things. The media does provoke this stuff. They do, especially when it's a racial thing. They, 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 they press the race element over and over and over and over the race baiting over and over instead of making it what it really is, which is an issue of power and authoritarianism. The powerful over the powerless, right? The people with official badges and guns over a guy, a citizen with no way of self-defending themselves. That's what this is. This is the same. This is like a microcosm of like the state beating us down, right? It's the same kind of thing. It's the same kind of power dynamic, right? The governor of... Newsom and other governors had the power to beat us down for three years during COVID, right? They had the power over us, the authoritarianism that I talked about, the fascism. It's the same thing. It's the powerful trying to defeat the powerless, trying to, trying to put their foot, you know, we talked about foot on neck with, with, uh, with George Floyd. It's like the state putting the foot on the neck of the people because they have the power and the authority to do that. And so it's this power dynamic that drives all of this. It's the power dynamic that drives whether it's a beating like this or the way the state has beat us down, the way the government has beat us down for the last three years. And our only recourse is lawsuits, right? And the only recourse here will be putting these people in prison, which is another element of what is there to riot about? Well, you want justice, okay? Justice in this country, whether you like it or not, isn't you don't hang people a day after something happens because the videos. That's not the, that's not the way it works here, okay? Justice is happening exactly the way it's supposed to happen. They were all fired. They were all charged with murder. They'll all go in front of a jury, and I guarantee you they're all going to be convicted. That's justice. What else kind of justice do you want? What's the chant? No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. In fact, in New York City, uh, Antifa was was chanting, "No justice, we burn everything down." What is this? What do you mean, no? Ju- what th- this is justice happening? This is justice in action. Very swift justice. Very incredibly swift justice. Fired, charged with murder. Video out for everyone to see. Within twenty days, they're going to go to jail, probably for life. And that's justice. So I ask people, what are they, what, what are the, what are the, what would you riot about? What would, what would you even march? Forget about rioting, even peaceful protesting. What are you protesting? Now, if you want to protest the power, having too much power over the powerless, the authoritarianism of the state, I'm all for it. But why weren't these people out there for three years 
protesting the lockdowns, protesting the forced masking, protesting the forced vaccination. That's also, as I've said, the power, the powerful, the authorities putting their foot on our necks, beating us down, killing many people. Where were the riots? Where were the protests? I didn't see them. I saw them in the summer of 2020 for Floyd. It wasn't for COVID policy. And now I'm seeing them calling, you know, some Antifa people are calling for it now. What happened in between? What happened to the two and a half years in between? Where the state was literally beating all of us down, especially the minorities. Where were these people? You see, they were MIA because they're hypocrites. Because they come out for a button, a a race baiting or a virtue signaling event. They'll come out for that. When the cameras are on, they'll come out. But they won't come out when it comes to real injustices that affect everybody. Many, many more people were beaten and hurt and killed by the government, by the authority figures over the last three years than will ever be beaten or killed by bad cops. Not even close. But so where were they? Where were these social justice warriors with a rage for two and a half fucking years? They were nowhere to be found. This is what I've said a million times about, you know, my body, my choice, bodily autonomy. Those people, where were they? Where were they? They were nowhere to be found. The ACLU, nowhere to be found. This is why. I can't back these people anymore. I can't back the women anymore. I can't back the pro-choice groups anymore. I can't back the ACLU anymore. I can't back these people who believe in Black Lives Matter. And so I can't believe I can't back them anymore because they are so they were so powerful. They have power. They're power in numbers, strength in numbers, as the as the Golden State Warriors say. Where were they? Where were they for the last three years for COVID? Nowhere. Not only were they nowhere, they were. With sitting with their tails between their legs, accepting this shit. I see more black. I see the people I see most with masks are blacks and Asians. Okay. Two groups that are always talking about being oppressed and, you know, blacks being beat up by white cops and Asian crime, the Asian bashing. Where were these people? In fact, they were totally missing in action over two and a half years when if blacks and Asians and minorities had spoken out, that may have made real change. A white guy like me speaking out, I'm not going to be able to fucking change anything. It's just a white guy complaining. So where were these groups, these marginalized groups who were hurt the most through COVID policies and authoritarianism? Where were they? They were complying. Not only were they not rioting, not only were they not protesting, they were complying. They're still wearing masks. Almost everyone I see with a mask is black or Asian. I'm sorry. Crucify me for telling the truth. That's my experience, not just here in San Francisco. I've traveled to about 20 cities over the last three years, and that's what I see everywhere. I've been to blue cities and red cities, blue states and red states. The complying with that and then all of a sudden being in a rage with this is total hypocrisy. They don't see it. They don't see it. They don't see hypocrisy. Because they're a single issue group. These are single issues. These are like police brutality. Police, cops are bad. Fuck the cops. Cops are pigs. That's all they want to talk about. But there are people above the cops. Like Gavin Newsom. Like your governor. Like your mayor. Like your president. Like your congressman. Well above the cops pay grade. 
who are doing so much worse to us. There are so many there's so many more bad politicians than there are bad cops. So many more bad politicians and bad people in the media than there are bad cops. You can't just there's no comparison. There's no comparison. Ninety five percent of cops are great. Ninety five percent of politicians and people in legacy media suck. Suck. It's time we get our priorities straight. There's a there's a there's a there's a fight to be fought, and it's a consistent fight that we can all be on the same side. And then when these things happen, when the women's rights thing, when the pro-choice, then we can all fight together for bodily autonomy, for fighting the authority figures, for fighting the, the corrupt power structure. We can all be on the same page. But when I'm there for you and then you're not there for me for three years, in the most important time of our lives, you've, you've lost me. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Absolutely, loud and clear. Cool. Um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, I, I don't know if I would agree with that 95% uh, statistic of good cops, but uh, what I wanted to say was the social justice warriors, you know, over this COVID thing, part of the uh, problem with it is that it was so politicized and they were the ones who were cheering it on. They were the ones who were telling us we're killing grandma if we leave the house. I know. Remember? Well, yeah, it was they, it they was them that was driving it. They were certainly buying huh? into the narrative. They were certainly buying into the narrative, right? They absolutely bought into yes, the narrative. Yes. I think they were driving the narrative. I still fight with them online. <laughs> they're still they're <laughs> still buying into it. Yeah. I know. I know. Like, I know. Well, like, well, ch it's like, yeah, it's like, huh? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. But. Yeah, I just want to say Chapo Trap House used to be one of my favorite uh, comedy groups to listen to because they were anti-establishment and they, they uh, put the screws to both the left and the right, the Dems and the Republicans, and I loved it. It was great. But ever since COVID and Ukraine happened, they're all in with the establishment. They, they are always talking about how the vaccine is, is uh, God's gift and, and, oh, my God, poor Ukraine, you know, with, uh, with that big, bad Russia coming after them, you know, for having Nazis. I can't believe it. Yeah, all of a sudden bodily autonomy doesn't matter to them, and they want to support freaking Nazis. It doesn't make any sense. And, and, and once again, as I've said, they don't seem to understand that this is basically the same group, the same power structure that they're fighting now with this stuff. It's the yes, same thing. It, it's the it's authority. It's authoritarian behavior. It's authoritarian. Yes. Behavior. Right. Exactly. I used to consider myself kind of on the left, and I don't anymore because I can't stand them. They're like all in for the establishment because I'm anti-establishment. And until 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 the big virtue signaling event like this, then they come back out again. Then they come yeah. back out again. And that's the problem. I, I can't stand. I can't stand the spotty, inconsistent social justice warriors. You got to be consistent with this. There's a power structure that we're all trying to fight. There's a power structure yeah. that we're all on the we're all on the side of. Yeah, we have to find a way to work together. We have to find the the uh, the issues that we can all believe in, 
and understand that you're you're exactly right. It's it's that power structure that's driving it all. Where where, where are you calling from? Las Vegas. Oh, you're you're in Vegas. You're in Vegas. Yeah. Great, great, great. Yeah, I used to live in Vegas. Any problems in Vegas tonight, or is everything okay? Uh, no, everything's fine. I'm just heading back. <laughs> Excuse me, heading back to my house. I had to drop the kids off. So no, no, no protests or riots. That that you know What's of. What's that? No protests or riots that you know of. Oh no, no, not at all. I I, I actually just found out about the Tyree uh, thing, uh, just like today. So I, I don't know. Um, we do, we don't have a lot that goes on here. Like uh, even when Occupy Wall Street was going on, uh, right. there was a very small. Yeah, it wasn't that big. Yeah, we're. It was I'm just across same, from. I'm huh? actually in the same. I'm in the same situation in San Francisco. We, even during the summer of 2020, you know, George Floyd stuff and everything, there was yep. there was very little here. It wasn't that much. There wasn't that much going on. There wasn't that much going on. It seems to be more of a... A lot of it happens in the, on the East Coast and the Pacific Northwest. You know, but, you know... Right? Like I'm I said, gonna, that, that, yeah, I'm going to hang up, actually, because I, I could hear you very well before I called in, and now I can barely hear you. But I just wanted to yeah, say that about... Yeah, about so, no social problem. justice Thank warriors, you. yeah. Okay. And, and right. don't hold it against the women's... Don't hold it against the women's movement, please. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> thanks. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Um, yeah. Well, holding against the women's movement once again. The problem is, these are the same people who want who who, who always would my body, my choice, my body, my choice, and they welcomed us on their side for that fight, but then when it came to our body, our choice for the vaccine and so on and so forth, they were, like I said, like you said there, not just missing in action, they were on the side of the establishment and they continue to be on this side of the establishment. And they truly believe, like I said, they don't get the connection. They truly believe it's absolutely my body, my choice when you're talking about a woman's right to choose, but not my body, my choice when it comes to the vaccine because you're killing people, you're killing grandma from not getting the vaccine, even though that's been disproven for two years now. So that's, that's the problem. That's that's the problem. Once again, if I, I, I I'm not a fucking moron. I'm not a fucking mook here. I'm not going to have your back if you don't got mine. And if I got your back the first 45 years of my life and you don't got mine after when I need you, you're I'm, I'm not going to be on you. I'm not going to I'm not loyalty's a two-way street, baby. It's not a one-way street. Loyalty's a two-way street. You know, so yeah, the audio was a little odd because she was in a car in Vegas, and Vegas is very unlike San Francisco. Vegas is still exciting. There's still noise and action on a Friday night. Let me get into San Francisco in a second. So I'm walking back from the gym earlier, about uh, 5 p.m., and I'm walking through the Financial District Union Square area here, and I see every fucking block heading downtown is being uh, 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 blocked off by police. Like five blocks. I'm walking and every block is being blocked off and they have police everywhere and the traffic is horrible and no one can get anywhere. And I walk past my Walgreens, which is usually open till 11 o'clock at night, and they closed at 4.30. So obviously this was all – they were all expecting bad stuff to happen, right? I knew it wasn't going to happen because 
like I said, even the summer of 2020, it wasn't that bad here. When it was really bad in many cities, it was a little bit of looting here, but it wasn't a big deal. I knew nothing was going to happen this time because it's not a race issue. I knew it right away. I said, it's going to be very minor to nothing because this is not racial like, the, like they usually are, like the last one was. And so taking out that race element and with the media not being able to race bait this time, I knew there wasn't going to be any problems here. And yet all these streets being blocked off, all these people going crazy. Now, why? Because of the media. Because of the media, they decided to release this video on a Friday night as sun is setting. Why would you release this fucking video at the beginning of a weekend as it's getting dark? Do you really want to fuck cops up? I mean, it's, it's it fuck people up. It's ridiculous. But I knew because there was no racial element, there really wasn't that much to worry about. Yet the whole freaking city was shutting down. The Walgreens, I can't get drugs. I couldn't walk. There were co- every block, the traffic was insane, even though people aren't even working anymore because they were blocking off every street. So this is crazy. This is like they're doing all this just in case something happens. I mean, what were they doing this? Anyone does anyone live in New York out there or another city where you can tell me was this happening in your city too? Because I get the feeling I live in this really snowflake, uh, lily-livered lily place where, God forbid, there was actually a real emergency here. I wasn't living here in 89 when there was an earthquake. God forbid there's like a 9.0 earthquake now. God forbid there's like a nuclear war. And I'm living in this fucking place where no one has any fucking balls. Everyone's afraid of everything. Everyone stays inside. The police shut the streets down. All the fucking drugstores and stores close on a Friday night. Like they can afford to lose more business over what may happen. And anyone with the brain who was being intellectually honest with themselves, which is very rare in San Francisco, unless you're named Mike Cachopoli, knew that since it wasn't a race issue, it probably wasn't going to be a big deal. And at least so far through night one, which is usually the worst of it, nothing has happened. So. It's, it's really getting to the point here where what is quality of life like in this country anymore that we have to worry every time there's an incident like this. There are a lot of cops in this country. There are a lot of bad people in this country. There are a lot of good people in this country. There are a lot of there are a lot of opportunities for this kind of shit to happen. Right. Because I said there's a power structure here of the power over the power, the powerful over the powerless, the authoritarians over the rest of us. There's a lot of opportunities for shit like this to happen. So we have to do this every time this happens? Well, the answer is probably yes because of the media. Once again, I'll go over this again. And believe me, I'm not obsessed with COVID. Okay, I'm a little obsessed. But that's why this was so much worse than in 1918. Because of the media. It's the media. It's the media, Charlie. It's the media. It's the media. That's the difference between now and 102 years ago. The media. Period. With any of this stuff, right? There wasn't race baiting. There wouldn't be videos out all over the place. And speaking of videos, speaking of videos, <laughs> I understand. I've been told that YouTube has taken down two vi- two important videos. The first one being the Paul Pelosi. Someone told me I've been reading on Twitter they took the Paul Pelosi video down. How interesting that they would take the Paul Pelosi video down but leave the Tyree Nichols video up. 
So the Paul Pelosi video is what? It's two. It's the Paul, uh, one guy hitting another guy in the head once with a hammer is is what? Is that like uh, against terms of service because of violence and children to see that? But a video of three cop, five cops beating a guy to death for three minutes. That's OK for kids to see. That's not violence. So you see the hypocrisy of YouTube. They just don't want the speculation over the Paul Pelosi thing. And I wouldn't doubt Nancy Pelosi told him to take it down or someone in that power structure. And I also understand they took down this video by Project Veritas. Have you seen the Project Veritas video where the Pfizer employee was videotaped uh, saying that they're basically doing gain of function? In other words, their their vaccine is such shit that they're trying to create bad variations of COVID ahead of time in order to stay ahead of the constantly evolving virus, right? Because the vi- cause mother, let's put it this way, mother nature is so far ahead of Pfizer that Pfizer can't deal with that. And since mother nature is so far ahead of Pfizer and has, be- has beaten Pfizer so bad, think of it as a boxing match between mother nature and Pfizer because mother nature has beaten Pfizer so fucking bad that their vaccines have been such shit that they're trying to stay ahead of Mother Nature by creating more diseases, right? There's more variations, more variations of the disease to stay ahead of it. And this is called gain of function. They call it something else, some bullshit term. Anyway, this Pfizer exec is not only on tape saying that, but he's also on tape saying that they're bought and sold, that people, that the lobbyists can get whatever they want, that people go from being a lobbyist to Pfizer, Pfizer lobbyist back and forth, and there's no real checks and balances. So he's on tape saying this too. It's like a 10-minute video, right? And this is a Pfizer executive, okay? It's not an actor. It's not a guy pretending. It's a verified Pfizer executive, okay? And yet YouTube is taking it down as COVID misinformation, <laughs> COVID vaccine misinformation, Words out of a Pfizer exec's mouth on tape. No words put into his mouth. These these Project Veritas people, these are like real journalists, by the way. That's what YouTube, and this is why you won't see it. You saw it on Tucker Carlson. You're hearing about it here. You'll hear about it on other podcasts. This is why you're not seeing it on CNN, MSNBC, or YouTube. Is because these are like real journalists. This is what like the legacy media is afraid of, this real guerrilla journalism. People being real journalists with hidden cameras. This is like the old days. Journalists, real, real legacy media journalists used to do this in the old days, right? Like candid camera stuff. They have hidden cameras. They'd go and they'd find something like a Pfizer executive or whoever it may be to sit down with them, interview them so they don't know where they're on camera, and they get the information. And this do real journalism, real investigative journalism. They don't do that anymore. They're too fucking lazy, and it goes against their narrative. They might not hear what they want to. So they hate the fact that there are people doing this. So they just pretend it doesn't exist. They delete it. They delete the memory. It's like, it's like, a, it's like science fiction. They delete your memory. And it's like very Orwellian. They delete words. Like the Associated Press, you can't say the anymore, even though they're called the. Elon Musk made that point, by the way. You know the Associated Press is coming out with this thing where you can't say the anymore, like the French, the gays, the women. You have to just say women or uh uh, you know, you have to say uh, French people. It's such nonsense. Yet Elon Musk pointed out they're still called the Associated Press. <laughs> Why aren't they Associated Press people? It's such it's so ridiculous wokeness garbage. But this is the deletion of the dialogue. This is deletion of words, right? These are the word police. This is what Orwell was talking about: deleting word, deleting video, deleting memories, deleting reality. This is what they want to do. 
And they sometimes they delete by deleting, as YouTube did today, or they just delete by omission, like CNN, MSNBC, not covering these things. That's what we're seeing over and over and over again, this Orwellian world. This Orwellian world. <clears throat> and so, where do you go for real information? Where do you go for the real information? That's, that's the question. Since we have, since so much is being omitted and deleted, that just leaves us, you and I, us, in the position of having to fill in the blanks ourselves, right? To fill in the blanks ourselves. And then when we do that, they say, oh, no, you're nutty, you're a conspiracy theorist, you wear tinfoil hats. They want it both ways, right? They want to be able to delete and omit. Therefore, they delete and omit. And they get their narrative that they want to push by deletion and omitting. And that's what we have to talk about. And if we don't repeat that the way they do on MSNBC and CNN, then we're crazy conspiracy theorists because we're forced to do our own journalism, right? We're all forced to be Project Veritas and do our own research and our own critical thinking and our own questioning of the narrative. That's our job now because they make it our job because they don't do their jobs anymore. There's, there's no real reporting among the legacy media anymore. And then when it happens, in the rare instance where it like happens by mistake, like the guy Miguel I'm in, on, 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 on NBC, they fire him. And they, what do they do? They suspend him and they delete the story. And the story was accurate, nearly 100% accurate when you see the body cam footage of Pelosi now. I know there's a lot of stories to cover. I'm mixing it all up. You got Pelosi, you got Tyree, you got the Project Veritas stuff. You have so much happening on, on, on the same day. But I think a, a, a narrative, a through line for all this is the legacy media letting us see what they want us to see, when they want us to see it. The, the authorities letting us see what they want to see it, when they want us to see it. That's, that's the problem. That's the problem. We don't have total transparency. We have no transparency. We have no transparency. But then we see, once again, we see the media trying to make people riot, right? We see the media wanting it. Playing that video, that horrible three-minute video, over and over and over again. Once again, I believe in total transparency. We should have the access to this stuff. But how it's presented is, is really what matters, right? How it's presented and how the people who present it narrate it and talk about it, that matters. It's a very simple, I think, when you look at the, the, the Tyree video, I think it's incredibly simple to know what's happening, right? It's five bad cops beating someone to death. That's it. It's five murderers, it's five thugs, it's five criminals doing what criminals, thugs, and murderers do. It's very simple. Which is why I believe they'll all be easily prosecuted. The Paul Pelosi video, I don't think it's as cut and dry. They want to make you think it's cut and dry. You see, this is the game they'll play. They'll try to make you believe that the Tyree video is not really cut and dry, right? That there's, there's the other elements going on there. Like I said, one outlet even tried to make it somehow about a race about race instead of power. And that the Paul Pelosi thing is totally on the surface. What we see is one crazy guy breaks in, knocks him on the head. 
Forget the fact they both had hands on the hammer. Forget the fact that Pelosi had a, a drink in his hand like Harry Grant. Forget the fact they both had shit-eating grins when the door opened up. And forget all that stuff. Forget the weird 911 call. It all doesn't matter. It all doesn't matter. Don't believe your lying eyes. Hey, Vlad, long time no speak. What's going on, Vlad? Happy, happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year. I hope everything's going, going good for you. Happy New Year. Uh, the Paul Pelosi, Mike, I think is, is a sham, obviously, right before the election. And, oh, you know, thank you, you know, it, it, I, I left out that fact that it happened 10 days before an exactly. election where they thought they were going to get their asses kicked and then and then it didn't happen. Right. They didn't get their asses. So kicked. so as to feel sorry for, for the Democrats, for Pelosi, a victim, uh, the Democrats always rely on victimization, the victim identity, CRT, all that bullshit. The thing, too, was if it, if it let's say it did, it wasn't planned and it did happen. It had to have been some kind of gay lo- lover's quarrel kind of thing, you know. Well, between... let's, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. Here's the problem, and you just brought that up with it happening 10 days before the election, is that right after it happened, the, the politicians, the Democrats, and the legacy media tried to make it a Trump thing, did they not? Didn't they try to say exactly. that guy was a crazy right-wing Trumper? And he did not fit the profile because the guy's Canadian. He well, was no, probably, it, I think. It, it yeah. turns out if there's any, if it turns out if there's any political, if the, if the guy's political at all, which he's not, I think he's just crazy. But if he's political at all, he's a left winger, not a right winger. But they yeah. right away they tried to spin it as though he was this crazy trumper. And by electing Republicans, we're ele- we're allowing this to happen. So another an- another thing too that throws me off in in all this happening. Uh, ten days before the election is going on, what happened to the newscaster who reported? It's like they they totally shunned him. I don't know if he was from MSNBC. He reported honestly as best as he could, and then suddenly he disappeared. No, Miguel. Uh, they they they, yeah. they they disappeared and they suspended him. They deleted the story. They took it down. You couldn't find it anymore. And now, when we finally three months later see the video of it, he was one hundred percent right. He didn't say one thing that was false. This, is, one this thing, is, I mean, which is incredibly yeah. rare for a legacy media journalist. He was he was hundred percent right. Exactly. So right now, what, what trips me out that, that you mentioned Pelosi and all of them is Pelosi was advocating. I don't know how many people she had writing to Directv, and they kicked out Newsmax. So now Newsmax is no longer on Directv. I mean, Pelosi keeps on coming up. It's like you lost the House speakership. Stay gone for crying out loud. In fact, I'm going to say it like this. Just drop dead already for crying out loud, you know? You're not bettering well, the country. You know, just getting wealthy off the people. The largesse is never good enough for these bastards. Just freaking drop dead already for crying out loud. Well, the same you, thing for the president and everybody, you know? Right. I mean, he's just so sick. And, so and, when sick. You, and when you and your friends in politics and your friends in legacy media – take something like this attack and make it into a political thing to try to save their asses 10 days for an election, it doesn't make your side and your story look any better or more more legitimate. It makes you look yeah. less legitimate. Even if it was exactly where it is, which is a guy hitting Paul Pelosi in the head, to spin it into a political thing and try to take advantage of that. And remember something, that may have worked. Many prognosticators thought that the Republicans were going to get their ass kicked. And if not for a really shitty mayor in New York City, if not for all that crime in New York and Lee Zeldin running a campaign based on that, Nancy yeah. Pelosi may have very well still be Speaker of the House. 
Now, now you know, you know, uh, Mike. I'm looking at uh, when see on channel 34. Right? I see it because of my mom. She's she's a Mexican native. I'm Mexican of Mexican ethnicity, so it's mostly her Spanish. So right now they're having protests in El Salvador, protests in Peru, and now they're protesting the tire that guy that got killed by the black cops. I'm surprised they didn't say that they were racist too. Uh, tire Nicole, something like that, Nichols. The young black kid that got whacked by by police officers. Well, you totally. Know, maybe, maybe you can explain this to me. How is this? <laughs> that unit was a special unit. What kind of a what was special? What gang unit? What was that unit? Yeah. That way they were specially trained. Those five guys to what? Beat the shit out of people. You know what I'm think. What I'm thinking is they had something on this tired Nichols. Uh, more than than we're out to you know we're out you know we're, we're thought to believe. And he could have been involved in something, and they needed to take him out. The problem is, if you're if you got the cam, the body cams on, and you're doing that, well, shit, it's going to be recorded. Not to mention the cams on the vehicles, right? So now you have people how protesting they, they, in L.A., yeah. in, in New York. Get, yeah, how would they think they're going to get away with that, Vlad? Come on, you know, five video cameras so, on it. Come on, exactly. They got they got fired immediately. What they should have got is arrested and, and, and immediately prosecuted because the way what they did to Tyre Nichols, I mean, that was wrong. I mean, even if he was one of their, if, you know, guys working, you know, let's say it's a corrupt unit or something. We don't know the situation. Uh, was this considered black on black violence? Is, is the African-American community, black American community finally going to recognize black on black violence that it's not always white well, on black? I, I can't I can't. I can't speculate. I can't speculate. I'm allowed to. I have a show. Psychologically, what was in the heads of those cops? But if I want to speculate, this is only pure speculation. A, a, a psychological element might have been, might have been, that they are. They, they, there's something inside them that really they had a chip on their shoulder against black criminals, right? Maybe because they're black and they think people, they think black people commit crimes, make black people look bad. Who knows? It might have been a whole psychological thing within these guys. But here's the problem. Yeah, it's hard for, for me to say that five guys had the same psychological profile, the same thing going on in their head. Five people, five separate in, human beings having the same thing going on in their head. The only thing I can assume is there was like such an energy that was spread. You know what I'm saying? It was like a, a rage and adrenaline rush between exactly. the five of them exactly. that, you know, if the one person starts doing it, the others start doing it as well. It's like, a, it's, but like an, an, another, gang, it's like any other kind of a gang attack, right? Yeah. So, another thing too, Mike, is that a lot of people don't know is sometimes within their own people, and this happens even to, to Latinos, you kind of get tired of your own. You know what I mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be racist. A little bit. I'm going to be racist. Sorry, forgive me. Uh, sometimes I don't see Lat Latinos, for example, the same way. Sometimes I know why is it that cops are very hard on other Latinos that have a criminal background, gangster, in and out of jail. And they're, they're, yeah. they're, they, re they really treat them like shit. When cops see me, I've been you know, pulled over, maybe stopped at the bus stop while waiting for a, the bus or whatever, and they're looking at their at their profiles you know, of all the faces of the people. And he goes, wait, 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 wait. And I go, what? And he goes, we got something, and, and, and they're trying to see if I fit the pro No, okay, move on. Get the fuck out of my face. I got nothing to worry about. But lo and behold, the guy that they find that fits the profile, that is on the picture. I feel sorry for them because the sheriff's department especially. And I know there's this attitude. It kind of exists between Hispanics and blacks. Probably don't come white. But usually it happens to be that they get tired of people being such criminals. And, and they'll take advantage of them. They'll beat them down.
I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, the guy already has a record, yada, 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 in and out of jail, you know, jailbird kind of thing. So they, they're, they're hard on people. I, I've seen that. People get tired of their own. This is not a racial thing in the sense of, 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 of it being outside, you know, whites doing it to blacks or blacks doing it to whites. No, this is an inner uh, uh, racial thing. But, but when, I, when I say I'm talking about other people, of course, it it's gonna, might, might sound racist. But the whole thing is really they come down on their own. I, I've kind of noticed that over time. And that's why there's people that say, cops are dicks, cops are assholes, cops are... Well, yeah, but if you give them a hard time, too, just play ball. You know they have the upper hand. If you want a day in court, if you if you got something, you know, you want to get back at a cop for legally because they, they, they abuse their power, but yeah. do it to the extent where you're clean, be the victim, and I you'll know. have something on him to the point know, where I he know. might be fired. Know. You know? There, are people, there are people who say, no matter what the situation is, even if you know you're 100% right, don't give the cop any reason to do anything right just say yeah. whatever if you say you know bring me to jail go ahead whatever but i think in this situation it was almost like it was almost like tyree wasn't stopped by five cops it was almost like he was stopped by five gangland thugs and yeah. he picked up on that right away that these weren't really cops they were more thugs and he wanted to get away from them because he probably knew what they were about to do to him and i think exactly they were gonna do it anyway. i think they were going to do it anyway you know, so yeah. I, I think I think that's why he ran away and didn't just submit because submitting would have been just saying, OK, go ahead and kill me. Right. So I think that's what I that's what I saw in that video was that a guy who he realized that technically they're cops, but they're really not. They're really just thugs yeah. with badges, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And they were, that, waiting, that is, they were that waiting. They were waiting to do this. They were waiting for the opportunity to do this. For somebody. For somebody. Exactly. And it's sad. I mean, it's sad. Another day in America, but now it gives a, a rise to all these punks to go, and that's what I call them, to go out there protesting and burning down. I hope they don't start doing that bullshit like with George Floyd. Oh, I, don't, I, don't think, I, I think because there's not a racial element here. I don't think that's going to happen. I think with you know? taking, taking the racial element out of it takes a lot of the rage out of it for people, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it takes a lot of the reasons for, for protesting and riot out of it. Let's face it. Most of it, unfortunately, like I say, I think it's much more about a power issue, an authoritarian issue, than it is a race issue. But the media always gins up the race element, the race baiting part of it, gets people's blood boiling, and then you get riots. And most right. of these rioters are, are you know, most of the, let's, once again, I'll be racial, most of the people in the riots are uh, the ones we can see. We know the Antifa has the hoods over their face. We don't know if they're white or black. But uh, a lot of rioters are black, and it's just a racial thing. They're, 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 they're they're uh, acting out against what they what they perceive to be systemic racism, but this is not a race element. There's no race exactly, element. exactly. That, that takes a little bit of the edge off, I think. And it's I think almost like that guy Michael Brown, I think it was, or that also in Baltimore years ago, and yeah. and I, I could be wrong on the on the character, but it was mostly cops that were black. You know, and and they had broken his back and all that. I mean, it's sad to to what extent. But again, we don't know exactly why cops like that should be not only reprimanded, but they should be fired. They should be, you know, they should face criminal, not not have immunity when they when they're abusive because you know people entrust their lives to them. You know, they're they are there to protect and serve. They have a beef with someone. Well, you know what? The, instead of being biased and prejudicial, get, give that person up to to other non-biased police officer in your station and let let them take it instead of taking the law into your own hands and, and being judged you're an executioner and unfortunately that's what well happened. this video is very reminiscent of the rodney king video is it not it's very oh similar. yeah yeah it's, it's, exactly 
It's almost the same as the Rodney King video, except once again, there's no racial element to this one because they're all exactly, exactly. You know, but but um, but here's the problem: the media causes so much of this issue, and they're showing this video over and over again that we're such on we're on edge in this country that we know that the next time there's an event like this and it's white cops and a black, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, they're beating on someone who's black, there's going to be a lot of problems in this country simply because the media gins up a lot of this anger. They do. They, they, they're constantly pushing that button because, it, look, let's face it, just like COVID got them ratings, this kind of stuff gets people watching, right? The riots yeah. get people watching. The riots. And, and, and not only that. The, was a great year the, for, for the media. Yeah. COVID, and, and COVID and riots, that was a great year for the but, media. But, but remember what you said, Mike, earlier regarding the media, the media. Why is it the media over 100 years ago? Uh, what I would say is that the media is like like Michael Savage said, a local right there from uh, uh, also from New York who lives right there in your neck of the woods in San Francisco. Yes. The great Michael Savage said it very clear that the government media conflict is no. You, we we always heard of the military industrial conflict, but we really never put together the media government pl- conflicts working together. Once again, what is what do they want to drive to the heart of people? Defund the police. That's what you see in all these protests. Defund the police. What the hell are you saying? Defund New York. What the hell are you saying? Defund LA. They had nothing to do with the matter. But yeah, it's just because they're cops, you want to start treating them like, well, no, not all cops are like that. A great majority of them are like that. You know, we're still going to need them. That they constantly need retraining and all these all these groups from different community to talk. Well, yeah, that all could continue. But the thing, the thing too, that has to be recognized that, that there's elements within cultures, di- different cultures, ethnicities that they're problematic. They continue to to they 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 they, uh, they propagate this problem. Continue. And, and one thing I wrote down on Twitter was basically the black culture has to look into themselves, too. And what's causing this? It's like the, the great Larry Elder from from uh, from 870 AM. He's no longer there. He's now just with the Epic Times. He said it very clear a long time ago. He goes, uh, what I educate people on other blacks is do what the officer's telling you. If he tells you to put your hand on the wheel, put your damn hands on the damn wheel. Obey. Obey, damn it. Don't don't fight the cop. I mean, he sees you pulling something when he didn't ask you for, whether it's for your license, whether it's for your registration and insurance. Give it to the man and stop. Again, stop, I stop. I agree with you. I, normally, I agree with you. I don't think I don't think this works in this situation. I, I you know, whole, I don't think the Tyree Nichols thing. I don't. I think he yeah, was yeah. actually complying, and they didn't care. I think he was complying, and they didn't care. Now, in most situations, you're right. You can always fight it later. You can always fight exactly. It later. You'll have your day in court. You you know they, you bring human rights, bring any organization. They'll fight you and, and sue them for millions of dollars. If you can great, but but a lot of the times, I mean, uh, people too. I mean, there's problems. I mean, I call on my Mexican people. We're, we're problem people. I tell them right here. It, it it has to do a lot with the immigrants, and I'm not I'm not putting immigrants in a bad light because not all of them are like that. But it happens to do with the children that they produce, born and raised in America. Sometimes if you don't take care of them, you're not hard with them, you know, with a heavy hand and you're very disciplined. You you end up getting nothing but marauders and criminals. You know, it's it's a, it's a cultural thing. It's a macho thing because it's very you know using it's, it's very what do you call it uh uh. uh Patriarchal and all that, misogynistic and all. Yeah, well, you also remember, that. Vlad, Vlad, remember also in this Tyree video, uh, this Tyree situation, even if he was not obeying and complying, it doesn't give them the right to beat him to death. You know, when you've yeah. got, when you've got, five exactly, cops, exactly. When you've got exactly. five cops with one skinny kid, they could easily, easily 
wrestle him to the ground and handcuff him and be done with it in 10 seconds. <clears throat> so that's that's the that's the issue there. So they, no, these were criminals. These were thugs. These were these were exactly. murderers. They were just murderers who happened to find their way into the police department, a special unit, which makes you wonder what are the qualifications? What is the training? What are the qualifications to get this job? Not only the, the, the he's not, they weren't just cops; they were some fucking special unit. What's the, what's the a, a, a psychological profile is not done on these guys? I mean, in a special unit to beat the living daylights out of people. I mean, to a bloody pope to you kill the man. I mean, what's it's the horrible. hell? It's really what kind horrible. of special unit for what? Yeah, what kind you of know, a lot of these special units that that do that are that are uh, into confiscating drugs. You know, they're narcs. They call them. Uh, but they're really to, there to stop the narco traffickers, the pushers, the sellers, and all that. A lot of them are so corrupt; they end up selling the stuff. They they form teams, you know. It's no different, kind of like the movie where Denzel Washington played uh, Training Day with uh, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're crooked like that per, per se. I'm not saying every time it's like, but it's you know sometimes they form little groups where like you know we got the money, we got the drugs, we could do whatever. We'll just say that they took off, you know, or it was nothing was there, you know. They'll make up something or only so much. <laughs> And um, it's it's kind of you know that's how things are. And again, that's why movies are only reflecting uh, reflecting a lot of the realities that, that that happen in the world. You know, and and police departments, you know, from time to time they will be crooked, crooked as hell. Like here in in, in Los Angeles, uh, maybe over maybe 12, 12, 13 years ago, you remember the famous Rampart case? Yeah. That dude, cop that had yeah. sent a lot of people had sent a lot of guys to jail. And, and these are guys that, that were jailbirds coming in and out. But then once they reviewed the case on, on these bastards, that group in the Rampart, they left a blemish on, on the department, on LAPD, that, that particular branch. Why? Because of the things they were doing. Yeah, before the law, they abused the law. They make themselves look good in, in locking up people. But they had something else going on there that was crooked. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry for these cops. They ended up jailed and locked away, too. And I feel sorry for these cops that end up in jail because they were crooked. They should have never been cops to begin with, you know? Yep, exactly, exactly. No anyway, Mike, I love right, talking to you, brother. It's good. Always Do you? good to hear from you. Always good to hear you from got you. it? All right, all right. I do want to play something. Uh, I want to get to um, – I want to uh, – Dr. Malone, Dr. Robert Malone was on Tucker Carlson. He was explaining the truth about the, the Pfizer exploring. This is what Pfizer said. That's what that, that Pfizer executive in that video, the Project Veritas video, he said it was not gain of function. It was something called directed evolution. This is how they play these games. Not gain of function, directed evolution to create mutated COVID strains. And so this is what uh, – this is what, if I can cue it up. Like yeah. Pfizer is conducting or contemplating conducting research that is effectively like gain of function. Hi, Tucker. It's great to be here, and thanks. Thank you. Uh, it it appears it appears that they are recapitulating exactly what was done at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, right down to serial passage in their case in monkeys instead of uh, humanized mice. Um, but the, the very lead in this, Tucker, if you don't mind me saying so, oh, please. is the implicit 
it, the implicit acknowledgement that they cannot construct vaccines fast enough, the virus is outrunning them, and they're having to resort to extraordinary measures. This is an acknowledgement of defeat of their vaccine technology and their platform and campaign. They're saying that we have to go so far out on the edge that we're really crossing a line, we're breaking the law, but we have no other choice because our technology is not meeting the need. They're, we're not able to produce vaccines fast enough to get ahead of these virus mutations. And that's what I was saying earlier, thanks to Rob Malone's description of this whole thing, is that Mother Nature is beating Big Pharma. And I've, I've touched on this in the past months <laughs> during COVID. This whole idea that man has, man in quotes, could also mean man and woman, of course, has that we can defeat nature, right? 15 days, we're going to flatten this curve. We're going to flatten this. We're going to flatten this thing in 15 days, right? We're going to close businesses for six months. That'll, stay inside. Don't worry. It'll go past. It's this whole idea. Oh, we got a vaccine. We got a, a vaccine in two and a half days that was going to take care of the situation. And this whole idea from these authoritarian figures, these politicians, that they are better than Mother Nature, that they are going to conquer Mother Nature, and that's their narrative they're going to stick with, and they'll never admit that Mother Nature defeated them. And this is right, as Malone said, this is basically Pfizer, Big Pharma, admitting that Mother Nature defeated them. Mother Nature defeated them. Because Mother Nature will always defeat man. Always. Always. If we get some mercy, it's because Mother Nature gives us mercy. If that hurricane comes through and it does less damage than we expected, that's just mercy from Mother Nature and maybe some dumb luck. But this whole idea that we're going to conquer, we're always going to conquer Mother Nature. And God forbid we don't. We can't admit that. We, there's no admitting that. So we're, what is Pfizer doing? They're doing basically illegal, immoral, disgusting, science fiction kind of things to try to get ahead of Mother Nature. By creating new strains, which is going to, of course, kill more people, right? Creating new strains. And as this Pfizer executive said, it's a cash cow. He says in this video, it's a, he says COVID was a cash cow. No wonder why everyone wants to take this down. It's a cash cow. So on one hand, you have this hard-headedness about defeating Mother Nature and not admitting that you just lost this battle, as you so often will. We've been losing the battle with cancer, right? But shouldn't we have shouldn't we have cures for most cancers by now? How much billions of dollars have gone into cancer? I'll bring up once again, when I was in radio in the 90s, we had something called a leukemia-thon. And the leukemia people, the leukemia-thon people had a slogan, right? And it was leukemia-free in 2000, right? Doesn't that sound familiar, like 15 days to flatten the curve? Well, this was like in the 90s. This was like from 90, maybe 1 to 96. And their phrase was, that they were going to, leukemia would be gone by the year 2000. Well, here we are 23 years later. Is leukemia gone? Even close to being gone? Mother Nature is defeating us on all these fronts. Mother Nature is simply defeating us on all of these fronts. It's very, Mother Nature is very powerful, very powerful. And the problem becomes, not admitting you've lost, but the problem becomes when you start harming more people to try when you harm more people just to make money. And that is what Pfizer and Big Pharma has done. Daniel, how's it going? Hey. Um, yeah, you can't argue um, with the fact that we've made tremendous 
tremendous, tremendous drives uh, fighting Mother Nature. And particularly, you mentioned leukemia and childhood leukemia used to be a uh, used to be a death sentence. But many uh, child, I'm gonna, many I, child... I, I know I know you're more of an expert in this area, Daniel, but I'm going to argue that all of the years and decades and billions and billions of dollars we put into this, we should be we should be further along. I don't think we're far enough along. There are many child there are many child leukemias that have been virtually cured. And this has been this has been the case since I was in medical school in the eighties. Um there's been tremendous strides there. Um that's not particularly what I wanted but want to talk about though tonight. Um well, once again, they were saying leukemia free by two thousand. It didn't happen. Yeah, okay, pe- so. pe- people people keep saying that about cancer in general. They you know they have big hopes, and, and maybe someday there will be some big advances. But there have been on on many fronts uh, uh, big strides, especially with leukemias and lymphomas. Um, there's been great strides that have been made, and there's been great strides with cancer prevention in general too. Um, and um, if the human papillomavirus vaccine um, works out, um, that's going to mean a huge reduction in uh, cervical cancers in, in the coming years. So um, I don't agree with you uh, on, on this. That nature always wins. We, we fight nature a lot and we win a hell of a lot compared to what our ancestors um, only a, a couple hundred years, how often they won. We, we win a lot. But this is the shittiest vaccine ever that we have right now. <laughs> that, that being said, we lost this one. Yeah. And, and, and if you remember, um, one of the first, maybe the second time that you and I talked by phone, um, I, I said, you know, my greatest fear is that um, since this is a coronavirus and coronaviruses rapidly mutate, you know, this was this was before the vaccine actually came out, I think. Um, when we call, we were originally talking, when we spoke by phone, we were originally talking about uh, masking. And so, so I said, some, uh, my comment was something like, you know, coronaviruses mutate rapidly. Even if they come out with a vaccine, they're going to be constantly chasing this uh, uh, mutated, vac- mutated virus. And it, you're always going to be six months behind. So it's always going to be catch up, catch up, catch up. And then there's never going to be a great vaccine. And that's that was exactly the case. And and I wasn't the only, I was dealing with saying this, you know, tons of people were saying this. Every educated person I know, every biologically literate person I know, um, every physician that I know was was saying this. They were saying at least in private. Um, so the fact that Malone is coming up now and saying this to be the case, well, you know, to me, it doesn't feel like a big revelation. What is the revel- what is the revelation isn't so much that Pfizer is potentially trying to do serial passage to get ahead of this game. And as Malone says, it is a tacit admission that they're always going to be behind. But shit, like I said, we knew they're always going to be behind from the beginning. It's nice that maybe some of the public now um, understands that. Um, maybe they hadn't before. But the um, a big thing that has also come out of this that um, uh, Robert uh, Malone has also spoken about recently on Twitter is that um, Pfizer is basically admitting in a, um, a press release that they just put out shortly. I, saw, I, saw, I just saw it. I was going to read a little bit of it. Go ahead. Yeah, they basically admitting that they are doing things that apparently Boston University got in big trouble for doing. And um, and that is as as new mutants come along, all all, all they're doing is they're all Pfizer is doing is they're producing the spike protein. And that's what you, the antigen is that's for, for the immune response. But to, to test it, they are they're putting in, in a SARS-CoV-2 um, in tax, a capsule, capsid. Um, in order to test it, 
And apparently that is not supposed to be legit. <laughs> it, it, apparently it doesn't pass internal review boards um, or, and possibly possibly maybe illegal. I'm not sure the details, but maybe Malone will tell us more about that. But apparently by, by Boston University got in trouble for this. So not only are they doing something which, you know, it, it, it is it isn't inconceivable and it isn't in itself immoral to, to, for scientists to be sitting around and thinking, well, you know, we could potentially get ahead of this game by doing serial passage. We could do that really quickly um, through the primates that we have here. And whether it would work or not, you know, doing serial passage through primates, that they, their immune system is different he, than humans. So the mutations that are going to develop in that system are going to possibly be different than mutations that are developed in humans. So whether they can get ahead of the mutation game and and um, possibly predict and have already sequenced up um, spike protein and developed a, 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 their a, a vaccine. Um, we're, we're all hesitating to call it vaccine these days, but develop a vaccine ahead of time so that when in, in the human population, all of a sudden this variant appeared, they say, ah, yeah, we got this. We got the sequence all ready to go. All we got to do is start mass producing stuff. So then they're months ahead of the game as compared to um, 2021. That isn't in, that isn't immoral in, dis, in, in discussing that. I mean, that's what, that's the things that scientists do, and, and they're going to go there. They're, they have because if 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 person if scientist A doesn't, scientist B is doesn't is going to. So they're going to go there, and they're going to they're going to discuss this. What is what is was absolutely awful would be um, that whether that anyone would ever consider actually doing that because the moral hazard around doing that would be huge. There'd be huge temptations with respect to Pfizer to, to accidentally releasing such a strain. There would be a huge um, uh, uh, financial benefits that they could have. And, and if, and if that uh, one of those strains that wasn't and, and never, you know, could have been uh, uh, mutated in humans and, and um, gotten into circulation. If that was to get out, well, then that would be a whole new virus that, that people were, were fighting would have to develop immunity to potentially. Um, and maybe uh, um, it, it would be close enough to the original that imprinting would, would be invoked and we would have a poor, really poor response to that. So that would be really immoral on a number of fronts, create a number of, of moral hazards. So, but the fact that they were discussing it wasn't a big deal, but the fact that they were discussing it, whether they ever intended to do it or whether they were doing it, which too many people are insinuating, and, that's, and I think that that's not true. But the fact that they're simply talking about it is an admission <laughs> to what we were saying back pre-2021, which was this is going to be every you know six months trying to catch up to the, to, to the last strain. Um, and, 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 it's, and it's always going to be less and less effective. And when imprinting kicks in, it's just going to make it all the more ineffective. So it's, it's more than anything, it is, is, as Malone said, a tacit admission that, that they, can't, they, can't, they can't and never will be able to beat this thing, not with their tech, present technology. And maybe, they force this present technology on billions of people as guinea pigs. And, and that is just a maybe, crime against humanity of epic proportions. Maybe the biggest problem, Daniel, these politicians and the media and doctors promising, promising uh, success when they know that it's probably not going to happen, or at least not for a very long time. And I think that's that's a big issue. After a while, you get tired of being lied to, like 15 days to flatten the curve, so on and so forth. You know, like I said, the cancer, you know, leukemia gone by 2000. Joe Biden said he was going to cure cancer. It's these ridiculous statements. That yeah, I think it's part of people... how science is done. And that's that's the yeah. problem, Mike. 
is part part of how science is done. It's you can't get NIH grants if you're if you're except in rare cases, if you're totally 100% honest about your technology, about your medicine, about the research in general you're doing, you always have to hype things up. And then what they, what, what, what scientists will do is they allow that if someone will come to them and, and say, well, you know, we, we would like to, we heard about your, 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 your um, work that you're doing and we'd like to use it. And they don't totally understand what you're doing. Um, and we'd like to write a grant to do something based on that, based on technology. So they go off and, and, and write a grant and they, because they don't really understand your technology as well, they hype it up way, way, way too much. And it becomes this amplification system where by, by, you know, it, by the time it's, you know, passed through this system two or three times, the, the claims are just way, 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 way overblown about um, um, what the potential technology could do. And, right. and, it's, just, and it's just part of the, the system. The, 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 the scientists that, uh, that may have been in, uh, um, part of the original discovery of this hypothetical um, technology that we're talking about, um, they may have not have been too prone to, to um, hyping things up. But the others, because of their ignorance, are and the, the um, originators let them because they see it as a benefit to them to have things hyped up. This happens all the time. It's just part of standard practice in science. And, and, and scientists like Fauci, um, who was once a scientist, and, and, and Francis Collins, who was once a scientist, these people should have the sense to, to they, they know this is part of science. They should have the sense to moderate this tendency. That should be their primary job to moderate this tendency in science. They know that it occurs in every single branch of medical science. They know that in general, it occurs in every single branch of science, period. And they're involved, they're in the NH, so they're involved with biomedical science. They know this happens. They know, they know exactly that they should be, they know that this be one of their primary jobs is to tamp this same sort of thing down when it happens so that it doesn't get out of control and so that and so for example the public doesn't hear about and start demanding that uh, some drug get get released because they've heard that um, it's going to be a wonder drug and then they start pressuring the FDA to release something that's a freaking disaster because <laughs> because it's not a wonder drug it's, it's so so Fauci and and, and Collins just fell down on the job so, so, so freaking bad. They should have been the very first ones to say, hey, you guys, you know, tamp things down, tamp the enthusiasm down about this SARS-CoV-2 vaccination, because this is what always goes on in biomedicine. We know this is right. what always goes yeah. down, and we expect this, and you guys stop doing it because we know you're doing it, because everyone does it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And And that's... And that's the thing. And now, and of course, you get this. You, you you talked about it a little bit, but this response from Pfizer, which is not much of a response, the usual bullshit, right? Of we don't really do this. This is not gain of function. This is something else. We this is you know they'll always downplay everything. But it also took them uh, about fifty hours, I believe, after the story came out to respond to it, which is also very telling, right? That it took them more than two days to come up with some kind of a of a, of a response, a, a you know a phony response to this, but. We know Malone was right on target. And like you said, this is exactly what's been going on. That's exactly what's happened. The, the, yes. this, is them, this is them admitting, finally, without actually admitting it, of course, without saying the words, that their vaccines and their jabs have been total shit. Yeah. And, there's, and, and unfortunately, there's too many people um, on our side of this fight that are out there blowing up this, this whole 
um, Project Veritas um, um, uh, uh, video that came out, and they're and they're making it sound that like uh, uh, um, Pfizer is already out there producing mutations that are going to you know uh, wipe out the half the population of Earth or whatever. That's not what they're doing at this point. It, as far as I can tell, they're they're just discussing this. So so people really need to tamp down this uh, this hyperbole because. It appears that they're, what they're doing is discussing it, and that's bad enough. That's basically attack at admission. You know, it's not all that much different than when I, when I think about it, as about what's going on with the Paul Pelosi um, video. The, the, the thing that people should get out of that video more than anything, and it's probably what they wanted to, to, to hide, was that Pelosi has a very, very, very serious problem with alcohol. And he's going to harm people. Yeah, obviously, obviously. And he's going to get. He's going to hurt people, and and that is what. The, and, and you know, that's the real underlying. That the that's that's the undeniable um, um, feature that comes out in this video. Here's this guy potentially has has somebody that used a hammer to break into the to, to, to the window of the back of his home. They showed that part of the video. Yeah, I saw um, that. I saw that. Yeah, finally, yeah, finally. Yeah. Breaks breaks into his home with a hammer. Um, he's in there, and what's he thinking about? Getting a drink? This guy has got serious, serious, serious alcohol yeah, problems. So bad that when he's talking on nine one one, he can't make a coherent call because this guy appears to be drunk twenty four hours a day. Well, that's like a—it's it, truly like I said, Carrie Grant in the movies. Like, let me get this drink. While let me get this drink so I can distract you and think about how I'm going to stop you from killing me. <laughs> Is that what he was doing? Or he <laughs> like may just need the drink in order to deal with the situation. He is, yeah, he is well, that much dependent on the substance. Uh, or it's possible. Yeah, it's very possible. Who knows? It's very bizarre. The whole thing is bizarre. It's incredibly bizarre. And they didn't want us to see this. And the judge had to force them. So that's that's a problem right there. That's yeah. a problem right there. So, so- so what I'm saying but, is, there's no need. There's no need to blow things out of proportion. But I do it's want to blow things up a little bit. Face value. Daniel, I do want. I, I do want to make one point. You said about Pfizer in this video. I think the guy makes it pretty clear. They're just talking about this, which is bad enough. But uh, Wuhan wasn't just talked about. Wuhan happened, right? So these things happen. They're not just talked about, right? I'm not sure you're, what you're asking or, or make, well, what point you're making. Gain of function possibly happened in Wuhan. It wasn't just talked about. It could yes. be COVID-19 could have come from. Possibly, actually yes. ha- Right, right. Yeah. Right. So it's not, once again, this is not just something that's hypothetical. This is something well, it's, that it's, it's, it's hypothetical. Had. It's hypothetical that uh, Pfizer is using serial, serial passage through primates to try to get ahead of the game. That's yeah, that's well. the hypothetical part. And that's that's different than the type, uh, potentially quite different than the type of research that would have been done in Wuhan. Potentially, well, we don't need, we sure. don't need we don't need mad scientists at Pfizer coming up with these kinds of ideas, do we? We don't need. Uh, well, it, scientists are going to their brains are going to go there. They are going to think about these things. But any rational person. And any person, well, I'm not saying that scientists aren't rational. They're extremely rational. What I'm saying is, this, is that once you come up with this idea, both the scientists and everyone around them that's involved with um, making ethical decisions should should reject this and, and reject it for two big reasons. And one is the fact that if it was ever to escape, escape the lab, if, if one of these was to escape, escape the lab, um, that would be really bad. Yeah, yeah, but as Joe as Joe Ladapo responded, you see Joe Ladapo's response to that video. 
He said, um, have you ever, ever wondered I, why I didn't COVID, see it. What did he say? He said, ever wonder why COVID vaccine mandates defy the gravity of bad safety data? Here's the guy who's believed to be a Pfizer executive telling you part of the reason. Don't let them convince you not to believe what your own eyes and ears are telling you. And that's part of it. How, when, when, when this is the cut, where is the – in other words, if he's talking about all this, right, where's the safety in all this? Where's the – forget about the efficacy. We know that's out the door. But is there any is – it, is it that much of a stretch to say after what we've seen in these videos and seen so much in the past with this particular vaccine and jabs that there's a safety issue involved? That safety is not their top priority here? Safety of what? Is what, 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 do you, what, do you, what do you mean here? Safety of the vaccine. Safety. You mean safety of any new strain vaccine they're talking about? Any vaccine that we've had put in people's arms so far. The safety of any of these vaccines, that they don't cause issues, they don't cause side effects and death. Well, that, I mean, certainly, that, certainly, hasn't been, that certainly hasn't been their biggest concern. We know that. But with respect to this particular video and what it possibly might be saying about Pfizer and not understanding what your point is. Well, I don't want that guy. I don't want that guy deciding what goes in my arm. I don't want, did you see the guy in that video? He looks like a fucking yeah. idiotic frat boy. Oh, he, 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 he was, he's pretty, he's pretty low level. He, um, he, he's, he's probably, he knew a lot, he knew a lot in, for a low level guy. He seemed to know he's a lot. Probably some, well, he's probably someone that was in some research meetings. Like I said, it wouldn't be immoral to discuss this. And for sure you can bet that there were scientists in various meetings that they would have um, discussing this. And he was probably in some of these meetings and he wants to impress his date, like he said, and he's just blab, blab, blabbing about it. Um, that, that's none of that's immoral at this point. And that's where scientists are going to go. And that's what they, sh they, where they should go. That is what a scientist's job is in our society. But like I said, you, there's, there's great moral hazard and there's great biological hazard for, for anyone actually ever doing that. And if, if we were to find out that Pfizer actually did that to try to get ahead of the game, that would be fucking huge. Unfortunately, right. people are saying, are, are talking about this as, oh, they, as though they already are doing that or planning on doing that. And that is where we need to tamp this sort of rhetoric down because I don't see any evidence for that whatsoever. It's bad enough that that they that that that, that this is a tacit admission that their vaccines suck. And just like it's bad enough that that uh, that uh, Paul Pelosi is a raving freaking drunk. So we yeah. don't we don't really need to um, um, stretch the truth any yeah. to drive the, the back home the fact home that um, both of these uh, both of these things Paul Pelosi and vaccines are dangerous. Yeah. Okay. You, you know who's you know who's thank you. You know who's waiting here. Uh, John Williams is waiting here. John Williams is in my apartment. He's waiting to play some music. <laughs> so he's he's wondering. He's telling me. He's whispering in my eyes. This guy Daniel ever going to stop talking? I said, well, you know, Daniel, yeah, John, yeah, John, yeah. I'm, I'm 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 getting I'm getting off there, John. Cue cue up the orchestra. Thanks. All right, Daniel. Thanks for the call. Okay. Uh, you know, but it, it it's not a it's not a stretch. I mean, doesn't seem to have any real regard for human life. He seems to get off on talking about. It, it seems to excite him talking about this, and it also excites him. When he talks about how it was a cash cow, he said COVID's a cash cow and he smiles about it. He doesn't seem like he's he doesn't. That's that's a moral issue. That's a moral ethical. He doesn't seem like he's upset about it. He doesn't seem like he's saying, oh, I'm a whistleblower. COVID is a cash cow for these people. We all love it. And I'm a whistleblower showing you how bad it is. He doesn't know he's on camera. He's bragging about it being a cash cow. It seems, though, this guy cares more about the money. The money, 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 and the money subsequent vaccines that they can promote as 
as as being effective against strains is going to make for them. And how much that fuels all this stuff, how much that fuels these talks about staying ahead of the staying ahead of the virus to conquer the virus, to make more money off of subsequent jabs and vaccines. So it doesn't seem like there's any real moral center to this man. And I don't know. I I can't imagine he's the only one at Pfizer that's like this, that they're all very moral, ethical people. And this guy is just an outlier. I, I, I don't believe that. I don't think there's any evidence that tells us that. So there's also that problem. He seems to just disregard for the, the safety of of the people who are being injected by this stuff does not seem to be top priority on this guy's mind. And I'm going to I'm not I'm going to say it's not a stretch to say that hasn't been a top priority on any of their minds. And that's the problem, because uh, even construction sites say safety first. Right. So I think any kind of a <laughs> any kind of a, a, a any kind of a big any kind of big pharma whether it's Pfizer or Moderna, whatever it may be, or Abbott, safety first, right? Do no harm. Isn't that part of it? Do no harm. Do no harm should come before making profits. Do no harm should become before conquering this uh, cold. And I don't think do no harm has come first for these people. I think it's do make as much money as possible. Do get our stock prices up. And it's happened. They've made lots of money and their stock prices have gone up. So there's that. All right. Okay. I've talked about, well, these videos today, three big videos. This, this week has been, oh, okay. Enough videos, enough videos for a while. Let's talk about some other kind of video called film. If I can just get, if I can just get John Williams, John, Daniel, stop. Yeah. Come over. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, John. Thank you. Stand by. Okay. So what do we have today? We have two movies today. Two movies. The first one is called Infinity Pool. You might have heard a lot of hype about this one. It it got, depending where, it got an R rating, but originally had an NC-17 rating. And uh, it's from David Cronenberg's son, Brandon Cronenberg. And if you watch the film, you'll see. If you've seen his previous films also – you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree from the Cronenbergs. Um, it's about a man and his, uh, a man and his wife who go to a vacation. He's a writer and he's got writer's block. His name is James Foster. Him and his wife go to this all inclusive beach vacation on a fictional island of La Tolca. It's a fictional island. Um, and he goes there to try to find inspiration for his new novel. He's written one novel. It didn't do very well. The critics panned it. And he doesn't know where he is in life. And she, her, his wife is wealthy. Her father is a wealthy businessman. And pretty much uh, James is now being taken care of by his wife and their family money. And Alexander Skarsgård plays James. And there in this island, he uh, meets uh, a couple of people. He meets uh, actually a group of people. Uh, first, he meets a woman. Uh, played by Mia Goth, named Gabby, and her husband. And they befriend him. She pretends, she she initially says that she's a big fan of his, that she had actually read that novel. He's shocked because no one had really read the novel. It's kind of an odd coincidence. He meets someone on this island, this resort, 
who read his novel, and she butters him up and says that she's read his novel, and they become friendly. And one night, they go on a, they decide to leave the, the resort. They're not supposed to leave the resort. The island, as it's described, is like a primitive island with like a primitive government. And you're not supposed to leave the resort because it's a very strict conservative government and it's dangerous to leave the resort. But they decide anyway to leave the resort and go on just a little bit of a day trip. And it so happens on the way back from that trip, there's a there's an accident. James is driving the car and it hits someone who's on the side, who's on the road. And it's very dark. He doesn't see it. it's an accident, but he kills the guy. And what ensues from there is basically a part science fiction, part horror, part thriller film. Um, about a government that charges w- w- when when a tourist does something illegal and they are caught, they immediately give them the death penalty. However, however, they never end up killing the tourist. What they end up doing is for a substantial amount of money, this government makes a body double, a perfect double that they use in the execution as they stand in just to get some kind of satisfaction for the families they use a body double or you pay for it and they make a a body double looks just like you has the memories that you have 100 percent accurate double and that double is killed and so james of course makes a payment um goes through the process of where they create the body double and they then he, then he must watch the execution of this double um and then he meets these people, and as it turns out, these people have also got into – these people have, and their friends have – they're very wealthy people, and they go to this resort every year. And just for fun, just for fun and frolic, they do illegal things just so they can go through the process of paying for this and having their body doubles killed and executed. And this has happened to them over and over and over again. It's almost like you're able to commit crimes you're able to act out your most base emotions and commit crimes with no consequences because you don't have to be, you don't have to face any consequences. You just simply pay. Now, I, I know, I know this sounds like an example of wealthy people, right? Wealthy people, self-indulgent wealthy people being able to get away with murder just for the fun of it because they can get away with any kind of crime they want, whether it's murder, whether it's robbery, whether it's sex crimes, whatever they want to do. They can get away with it because they can afford on this island to pay for it and have their body doubles killed. So as the film progresses, as the film progresses, we see that James is being caught up more and more in this lifestyle, in this in this lifestyle of the wealthy where they are self-indulgent and they get away with what they want to get away with and they can act out their most basic instincts. Um, and as he gets more and more into this web – he seems to feel that there's something not quite right. And there are a couple of possibilities here. It's very possible that the film brings up this incredible, uh, you know, conundrum that maybe it's James, maybe it's these actual people who are being killed. Maybe it's their body doubles that are existing now, because once again, they look exactly like them and they, they think exactly like them and they have their memories. So you would never, you wouldn't actually know if you were killed or your body double was killed. And it goes into the most you, – you might have heard a lot about this film. There's incredible scenes of violence and sex and orgies and debauchery and just wealthy people acting out their most basic instincts. And 
as we as the film goes on, we know we realize James is a very insecure guy, right? He's a writer who has very little talent um, as he's portrayed. He relies on his wife for money. It's almost like he's a child depending on his mother and his, you know, uh, for, for for money and support. And he basically just lives this uh, wealthy, indulgent life based off his uh, wife's financial profile. And the film really explores this idea of of male insecurity, of um, of of us. Uh, re- retreating to our most uh, uh, base instincts in life. Um, uh, Mia Goth, who plays the woman who gets him in, in, involved in this web, is a great actress. I could watch her read the dictionary. I'm totally in love with Mia Goth. Um, I've seen her in a few films now. And she is just absolutely incredible. She's a seductive villainess. When you see Mia Goth, you know that danger is not far away. And uh, me, who, who you, the, Daniel? What you're interrupting my review? No, it's okay. Mia Goth, G O T H. If you saw films, Daniel, you would know who she is. Well, actually, she's she's made a lot of films. She was in the X series. She's in the X and Pearl. If you see the, those two films, which I recommend, which I reviewed a while back, X and Pearl. She was in Suspiria in 2018. Um, but X and Pearl are the most recent ones. Um, it's a trilogy, and those are the first two, and the third one is going to be coming out soon. Um, and she's in both of those, Mia Goth. She's, she's fantastic. She's fantastic. Um, she'd be perfect in the Quentin Tarantino film. Let's put it that way. And she is uh, absolutely incredibly seductive in this. She's insane. She's off the wall. Uh, but the more, we, the more we, we, we watch the film, we realize that it's, it's really about how – uh, this guy James is is discovering is discovering his the many the many sides of him, if you will. It, it's re- it's very reminiscent of a couple of Brandon Cronenberg's father David's films, which are uh, Dead Ringers. If you remember Dead Ringers with Jeremy Irons, right, where we had two twins who were very psychologically, emotionally, and sexually connected, um, and also Crash, David Cronenberg's film about uh, people who get off on traffic accidents. The fetish is uh, the traffic accidents. And so it has parts of those films. It also has shades of Stanley Kubrick. Um, it, it really is um, all of those things, but Brandon also makes it his own film. He's, it's his very, he's a very unique talent, visually stunning film. Uh, really, it's the kind of film that gets under your skin, just like his father's films. They really get under your skin. They stay with you the more you think about them. And the more you think about this character, James, and his total insecurities as a man and who he is and 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 how um, he's able to explore those insecurities through this process of being able to commit crimes and act this stuff out with no consequences until until it gets to the point where he realizes that there are there are indeed uh, consequences. Um, it, it goes in places you never expect it to go. It's very unpredictable. Like I said, though, it's very, very, very bizarre and eccentric and uh brandon is obviously a unique filmmaking talent he might be a better filmmaker than his father when i say technically technically wise he's probably a better filmmaker than david he's not as organic as his father he's really he knows how to use the camera even more than his father does his father's a great i love david cronenberg but brandon i think probably has the ability probably has it in him to be an even better filmmaker and i'm i'm really uh, this is his third film by the way, but if you really want a very weird science fiction slash thriller uh, uh, slash horror film, which, um, uh, like I said, totally gets under your skin, uh, this is it. This is the one to see. 
Um, it's not going to be for everybody. It's going to turn a lot of people off. You know, there's no doubt about it. Um, but uh, I think that uh, it's definitely uh, it's definitely worth seeing. And Brendan's other two films before this was something called Antiviral and something called uh, The Possessor. And if you look at the description of those films, you'll see a pattern developing and very much in line with uh, with his father's milieu. Uh, of course, David Cronenberg dealing a lot with psycho human psychology and human organisms and, uh, you know, and the way, um, you know, uh, things can go really awry psychologically, uh, the human psyche. And I think that Dead Ringers is really a great film. I love Dead Ringers. It's one of my favorite films. Talk about a film that gets under your skin. That's just uh, just in, in, in uh, two incredible forms by Jeremy Irons. And there you have a situation right there, right, where you have two twins that look exactly alike. And in this film, we have this process by this government where they make your twin and your twin is executed. And also that whole dynamic of, of watching yourselves being executed, right? And watching yourself dying while you still survive and live on is also an incredible uh, psychological element that uh, is part of this film. But it really makes it a great psychological thriller. Like I said, and the more you think about it, the more you like it. And I think, Probably seeing it once, it doesn't do it justice. It's probably one of those films you have to see two or three times to really understand all of its saying symbolically. Um, but once again, it's a unique vision, something we don't see enough. A unique vision, and I recommend it, and I hope uh, you know people check out Brandon Cronenberg's films. We're going to go to something very, very, very different now. <laughs> We're going to go 180 degrees uh, the opposite way to something called Women Talking. And this was nominated for Best Picture one of the 10 nominees for Best Picture, Women women Talking. And this takes place at what first seems like something that would be set in, let's say, the 19th century, in the 1800s. Um, it's women in a, in a colony that looks like something, it looks like, we, we don't know exactly what it is. It was based on some kind of a Mennonite colony in Bolivia. That's what the novel was based on. But here, it, but this film is set in this country, and it feels like it can be somewhat of the FDLS, Amish, right? It feels like it could be Amish, it could be the FDLS, if you know what I'm saying, Quakers, that kind of a sect, where women are abused by men. The men in the colony abuse the women. They sexually abuse them, they beat them up, they sexually abuse the children. Uh, so it's total sexual abuse, violence, and oppression on these women by these men. As the film opens up, the men have been reported and the men have been, uh, uh, the men are off. They were arrested for what they did, but the women are actually being asked to forgive the men. This is their religion. They're a religion of forgiveness. They're asked to forgive the men, but this has been going on so long that these women decide to finally get together and talk about what really needs to be done. They come up with, they come up with three possibilities. One is to do nothing. The other possibility is to stay and fight. And the third possibility is simply to leave, to leave the colony altogether. And they do this vote where they decide what they're going to do. And there's a tie between uh, staying and fighting and leaving the colony altogether. And most of the film takes place in a, in a barn where several of the women get together and discuss what they're going to do. Are they going to stay and fight the men or are they just all going to leave? And so most of the film, it's, 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 a, it's a dialogue-driven film where the women come up with different ideas, different possibilities, is su su such things like is staying there and fighting 
allowing this cycle to continue? Are they actually, if they're staying there and fighting, are they doing what, um, what, what are, are they playing into that game, right? Is it, is it a dynamic where they should just leave and get out of there and start their lives somewhere else without these men? Uh, is staying there and fighting basically accepting what's happening and just playing into what's happening and continuing that cycle? And where does it go? One of the women says that they, if she stays there, she'll end up killing the men, but that's not allowed in their religion. So it's really a talk about the dynamic that this kind of sexual oppression and sexual violence plays on a very religious sect with people with a, a very specific religious belief and how it's often presented, you know, abuse against women is often, often presented in movies and very black and white abuse against women is bad. They should fight back. They shouldn't take it. But when it's placed in this colony where these women have these very deep religious beliefs, part of those beliefs are forgiveness are not leaving your flock behind that the dynamic isn't so easy. It's not so simplistic. This is a film of shades of gray. The, it's just incredible dialogue delivered by fantastic actresses that keep you on the edge all the time. I won't say how it ends up. That's not really the important part. It's also not really important about what kind of religious, what kind of a colony it is. It's basically about the oppression. We, we've talked about that, right? We talk about the authoritarian oppression. This kind of plays into that. The oppression by the authoritarian figures and how you're going to break that cycle how are you going to get out of it? And uh, it's just, it's incredibly well-written. It's all about the performances. Everyone is fantastic in this. Um, whether it's, uh, let's see who we have. We have Claire Foy, Rooney Mara, uh, Jesse Buckley, a, a small role for Francis McDormand, who's also, who plays against type, by the way, who's also executive producer. Judith Ivey, still going strong as one of the older women. It's great. Everyone is great. All the women are great. Ben Whistlaw is uh, the one man who is not, uh, uh, who's a young teacher of, of the male student. Another, another element here is that the women are not allowed to learn. So the women don't know how to read, don't know how to write. Ben Whistler is a teacher of the young men, the boys, but he takes the side of these women and he, he's there for their meeting. He takes their notes and he sympathizes with them. So he's a very sympathetic, younger male figure who the film projects as someone who can actually teach the young men in this colony not to be like their fathers. So the next generations won't be like that. So he's in it. He's fantastic. Um, like I said, just if you like a film that's really dialogue driven, delivered by fantastic performances, this is it. And also food for thought, really food for thought about how we often say, right? We often say, oh, that woman is abused. What's wrong with her? That person's abused. Why did they just leave? This tells you why. And this is, like I said, I I highly recommend it. So two films, two very different films, uh, Infinity Pool and and, and Women Talking. Um, And Women Talking is directed by the actress uh, Sarah Polly. So I I, I highly, highly recommend it. Both films. Those are are the two good films for the weekend. Infinity Pool and, uh, and Women Talking. And if you're courageous, even though they're very different, you'll see both of them. And then you can come back here next week and tell me what you thought about them. All right. Well, we covered a lot today. We covered a lot. We covered three huge videos, the Pfizer one, the the Paul Pelosi one, the Tyree Nichols video. We covered a couple of movies. We talked about a lot of stuff. It's a great week. Also, please, if you didn't see, if you didn't see, if you didn't listen to my show yesterday of of, uh, Thursday, the 26th, 
my interview with Jackie Berlin of Mothers Against Drug Addiction and Deaths. You should go back, go into the uh, the recordings on call in, and listen to that because Jackie has a lot of really great things to say, very incisive personal things when it comes to the fentanyl crisis because her son is an addict and out there out here on the streets as we speak of San Francisco and has been for years now. And Jackie's been dealing with this personally and trying to get trying to get legislation done, trying to get politicians to wake the fuck up and realize what an issue fentanyl is and how uh, obviously drug addiction plays such a big part into the uh, homelessness crisis. So go back and listen to yesterday's show, Thursday, the 26th. It's uh, it's I think it's it's I think it's it's worth it's worth listening to my interview with Jackie Berlin. Okay, I want everyone to have a great weekend. Uh, remember, this show is called And Let's Be Heard. It airs Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern Time. Everyone have a great weekend. I'm Mike Chopoli, once again reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.